Welcome in to the OMR Podcast. I am your host, Scott Peterson, Digital Marketing Editor at OMR. In today's episode, I am thrilled to welcome co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds, Tim Brown. Allbirds, if you do not know, is a sustainability-focused footwear company based in San Francisco and uses sustainable materials such as merino wool, plant-based leather, and sugar exclusively in its products. The ascent has been rapid as after launching in 2016, they went public in 2021. Tim and I spoke about he went from being a professional footballer, the European sense of the word, to an entrepreneur, how Kickstarter, D2C, and retail have factored into Allbirds' success, and how Allbirds is, in my eyes, an ambassador for the viability of sustainability in business. All of that and more right now in the Olmar Podcast. All right, well, I'm thrilled to be joined by co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds, Tim Brown. Tim, how are you doing? Thank you for joining me on the OMR podcast. Thank you for having us. It's a privilege to be here. Wonderful. Um, there's a lot I want to get into because um, Allbirds is a fascinating company, um, but I think the best place to start is, is with you because you are not a, a typical CEO in the sense of, uh, of how you actually got to where you are. Your background is that you're prof uh, a retired professional footballer, which I'm an American, so that means soccer. Um, uh, you played for the Wellington Phoenix. You represented your country, the All Whites of New Zealand. Um, but in 2012, you decided to hang up your cleats. You got your deg uh, degree in design, uh, and you became an entrepreneur. And in 2016, uh, you found you co-founded Allbirds, which is a sustainability-driven shoe and clothing company. And so, I'm curious, what kind of went into that decision to retire from football and embark on a new path? Well. Um... Well, for, yeah, thank you for having us. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, you, you know, I uh, I was very very um, fortunate to live my dream of playing of playing football, um, and was very fortunate to be part of a New Zealand team that went to the World Cup in two thousand and ten. And the the idea, you know, really started on the back of having a lot of time in that particular profession. And uh, okay. I uh, a, another little known fact about professional sport is the you know one of the best things about it is you get lots of free gear. And uh, I, I was inspired, um, inspired in many ways by um, by by that experience uh, of, of wearing mm -hmm. uh, a lot of plastic product uh, and a lot of products that that was heavily logoed, and really started to experiment. It was a curiosity project and nothing more on the side okay. of my my sporting career um, to see if there was a different way of, of doing it. And in New Zealand, there's a very very close connection to nature to um, natural materials and the idea that that was a possibility mm -hmm. and an option in footwear was really where I started. But I, I knew nothing about shoes and as good as it would be for the story, didn't grow up on a sheep farm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I was, uh, it actually, it seems kind of like the more obvious fit would have been to be into cleats, right? So how did you get to shoes, to footwear? You know, it, it was an it was an interesting thing. Like the, the the footwear space, at least in New Zealand at the time. So I probably need to take you back to sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. It was mm -hmm. um, maybe like much of the world. Um, shoes were uh, they were largely plastic. They were bright. Uh, they were heavily logoed, and they changed all the time for no good reason. And it was very very hard to find simple. So the initial uh, insight was a design one, and it was about simplicity. Uh, okay. And so um, I, I you know, set out uh, to, to try and solve that particular problem. And along the way, I realized there was also a large material challenge. And 
the New Zealand um, wool industry is a really important one to New Zealand. And uh, but peak sheep mm-hmm. in New Zealand was in the 1980s, and for the better part of 50 years, the wool industries uh, had their lunch eaten by the synthetic industry. And the rise of synthetics has really led to a, a huge decline uh, in sheep and the industry and the wool industry. I mean, it gone from close to 100 million sheep in the 80s to less than 25 million, and a generation of New Zealanders and New Zealand farmers. Mm-hmm. That you know they have grown up in, in sort of hardship. So there was a, a real cry for innovation, and the idea that wool and natural fiber could create an incredible footwear experience because of the qualities of wool was where I where I started and um, won a research grant when I was still playing football to create the mm-hmm. first textile for for making shoes out of wool, and really set off on a journey to try and solve that problem uh, with no sense that it might one day become a business or anything beyond that. It was nothing more than curiosity. Okay. Um, well, that is, uh, so you, you basically came from a space where you had, uh, you were inspired to, to do something about all these clunky plastic laden shoes, um, and then kind of tie it back home to do something good for, for your home country, right? To give back to the people, so to speak. Oh yeah. I, mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, that, that was, uh, that was, uh, it was, it was an altruistic, um, inspiration. Okay. Um, you know, I think uh, the, the research and innovation grant that helped create the wall was certainly a part of it, but that was probably more to the paucity of innovation in that category than it was mm-hmm. to anything that I was doing. Um, and quite frankly, at the, at the time, um, and as this progressed, and I kept working at this for many, many years, uh, went to the World Cup in 2010, realized I, I, I wanted to retire from sport, went to London mm-hmm. to go to business school, um, and all of a sudden took this... Um, you know, lit- what was literally six pairs of wool shoes that I've been working on for the better part of five years um, to university and uh, to an entrepreneurship class that really changed my life. Uh, but at the time, I think one of my big challenges was that, that, that what I was doing lacked a purpose, that I hadn't grown up dreaming of okay. making shoes, uh, that wool wasn't as important to me, but not necessarily the thing that that was driving me to go further. And I think I'd learned in my professional sporting career the role of purpose and and what it meant to be playing for something bigger, and I, and I hadn't at that particular point found it in business. All right. Well, um, let's talk about um, how sport has also impacted you on your leadership style uh, in a in a business sense. Like, how how would you say that maybe sport has prepared you or kind of shaped your style of leadership, the way you approach business, um, things of that nature? I imagine it has to have had a, a, a tangible impact on on yeah, everything. It, it, it absolutely has, and there's so many parallels between sport and entrepreneurship and building a business. But as my my co-founder Joey likes to point out, I had no choice. This was really my first jo- uh, first job, so I, I had to I had <laughs> to take rude. Yeah, no, 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 and reductive. It's it's, it's, char- it's charming. <laughs> the uh, uh, I had to take lessons from that experience, and and there's so many. I mean, you know, I think um, probably first and foremost, I think as an athlete, you show up at training often at a young age through you know through through decades um, but even during the context of the season and you work at something um, and you you've just got to trust that in the fullness of time you're going to get you're going to get better at it and and, mm-hmm. and often you do except on a day-to-day basis you you uh, you often don't see the progress and so there's often a tendency I think uh, in the context of entrepreneurship to bounce around to be looking for some sort of silver bullet and I think as an mm-hmm. athlete you're trained to um, trust the process, uh, even when you're losing a game or two in the fullness of time, um, that repetition, uh, compounds and allows you to get really good at something and sure. really focused at something over, t- over time. And I think that, um, 
that power of, of, of trusting the process. I, I mean, obviously, it's obvious in the context of team, there's a lot of overlap. And I think mm-hmm. um, I, I realized to make my way in professional sport, uh, I, didn't, um, I didn't need to be good at everything. In fact, to try and do that was to not make it. Uh, I realized there was one or two things I could contribute and I need to go deep in those. And then I needed to, to make that um, uh, complementary to the, to the rest of the group. And I think probably one of the best lessons I've had as a leader is to be really, really uh, self-critical and honest about what you do well and what you don't. And that's helped uh, you know, us in so many ways, building a team and all the rest of it. Fair enough. So yeah, embracing the grind and um, the, the, the requisite self-awareness, I think, um, is something that uh, many of us lack, uh, or maybe everybody could get better at. Um, the fact that you point that out um, just kind of speaks to, to the experience that you're bringing with and what you bring to the table at Allbirds. And when you founded Allbirds in 2016, it was together with your partner, Joey. So I'm just curious, um, how did you guys kind of augment each other? Where did your skill sets, you know, just kind of build off, uh, off each other? Well, um, completely in the sense that we were very, very different. Um, we, our wives were uh, roommates in college. I'd uh, actually gone off to, to university just to complete that story in 2000, um, retired in 2012. Uh, my last professional mm-hmm. game uh, was a 3-1 away loss to Perth Glory in the A-League. I barely think about it anymore. And then I went off to, I went <laughs> off to, I went off to, uh, to London to, uh, to business school took an entrepreneurship class by a professor who said it was one of the worst ideas that he'd seen, but that I should put it on Kickstarter or something so that it could fail. And I went home for Christmas, $700, um, and put the six pairs of wool shoes uh, up as a Kickstarter campaign. And it was really, it was really successful. In fact, wildly successful. And uh-huh. four days, it sold $120,000 worth of shoes and I had to shut it down. And uh, Joey happened to be um, one of those customers. Um, Okay. And our, our wives were roommates in college. Uh, we'd know each other without being friends. Um, and as I struggled for the next year to deliver on, on, on that campaign with no resources in London, uh, doing my best to spend my life savings and uh, the, the fruits of my World Cup um, successes uh, to get this business off the ground, uh, he became a sounding board for that and ultimately okay. uh, a partner. And uh, he was an engineer I'd studied design on a soccer scholarship in America. He was an engineer. He'd worked in venture capital and for a biotech company that it, he, he helped take in public. He had all the skills and uh, business acumen that I, I didn't, um, okay. but we had an overlapping set of, of values um, and competitiveness and a desire, I think, um, you know, to really get after what he helped frame for me. And this is, was really the, the, the key thing that he bought was uh, in all the ways that I had a vision for the product, he had a vision for a world that was going to completely change around the uh, around the idea of sustainability. That we were going to need to rethink uh, every product and service that we uh, mm-hmm. that we used, and there was a massive opportunity in the fashion industry was probably going to lead that transition. Fair enough. Uh, how tempting was it to um, kind of rub the uh, Kickstarter campaign, the success thereof, in the uh, entrepreneur professor's face? Oh no, no! But this is the this is the way these things work. He went out of his way to be unkind because he cared, and uh, uh, of course he's um, you know we've kept in touch, and uh, right. he's he's become a friend and even an investor along the way. And uh, you know it's fun, funny thing like that. You know um, I could have stepped out of that office and sort of said this guy's an idiot, um, or actually I'm going to call his bluff here, and he uh, maybe he's seen something. And mm-hmm. I chose I chose the latter, and and it, it really kicked off a lifelong friendship. It's funny how that stuff works out, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, the, the the way the different ways people can inspire others, I guess. Um, that um, uh, so I wanted to talk about. Uh, you mentioned it um, uh, with uh, with Joey's uh, uh, passion for uh, his, his background as an engineer, and I want to talk about some of the materials and stuff that you use. We've already talked about wool a little bit, and um, one of the things that struck me is when you go to the um, to the Alverds shop, to the website, you see idyllic mountain landscape. I heard a sheep scampering about. If you go deeper, you'll find a series of videos, very entertaining short videos uh, on the various materials used. Um, you got trees, sugar, and trino wool. Well, I know there's merino wool, and I think there's something uh, a, 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 an Allbirds exclusive, if you will, uh, of trino. And uh, you mentioned about the inspiration to use wool, um, which was a material at the time which was pretty much otherwise foreign to shoes. How about the other materials? Or generally speaking, how does the process happen, go from experimenting with some of these materials and actually getting something that is is a viable uh, option material-wise for a shoe? Well, at the core of, of what the business um, stood for from the very beginning was materials, that um, sustainable material innovation, um, the belief that for 50 years we've been focused on uh, cheap synthetics derived from petroleum and that actually mm-hmm. uh, in natural materials you had uh, both a better environmental solution, that was one part of it, but also um, an opportunity to unlock better performing materials and better experiences for, for consumers, except it's harder uh, and um, mm-hmm. had been overlooked because of um, because of this other option. And so uh, we saw a big opportunity there um, to uh, build lots of different types of products with lots of different types of natural materials. And we started with merino wool and obviously close to home and cue lots of New Zealand sheep jokes from, from Joey if he was on here. Um, but we quickly realized there was a lot of these uh, material options that were available that had just been overlooked because you had a category that was, you know, had just become quite comfortable with the idea of making things out of plastic. And so uh, eucalyptus fiber along the way, EVA is one of the most commonly used materials in the midsole of footwear. Um, there's an enormous number of shoes made every year, 20 billion, and a large number of them use EVA, which is a petroleum drive material. And we found a way to, to actually make it out of sugarcane. Um, and you know, we just released a plant leather that we've been working on for a number of years. These material innovation platforms take a lot of time. Um, but that is really at, at our core, what we've uh, proven as a brand and a business that we can do really, really well. And, um, and do that because they make better experiences, um, and better products. Fair enough. Um, so would you say that, is it fair to say that Allbirds is a sustainability ambassador? You know, I, a couple of things. Um, well, first of all, clearly that is a compliment. So thank you. Um, and absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to think that um, you know that we are we, we founded this business at a time even six years ago when that was a, the sustainability was a was a counterintuitive idea, not commonly used. And one of the great things is fast forward um, six years, and everyone on on some level it seems like everyone is thinking about it, and that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got a lot of things we're doing really, really well, but the whole um, uh, p- part of this is that you're on a journey, so there's many things that we've got to do better, so I want to be really clear about that. Equally, I think when you hear a word like sustainability, there's a problem, right? Because that word means 100 different things to 100 different people. It's been pushed and pulled in and so many different- it doesn't mean anything. It t- to mean exactly nothing and uh, and everything at the same time. And you know, when, from the beginning, we, we knew that we wanted to be part of what of, of a sustainable revolution, but what exactly that meant took some time. And, um, you know, we've, we've, we've defined it as a business now in a really clear way to the point where I don't think we have all the answers, but we've got all the questions. And the focus for us is a, is a deep, deep 
um, belief that carbon is the North Star metric in the conversation around sustainability in the same way that calories might go on food. Calories don't mm -hmm. mean, mean everything uh, uh, about a healthy diet, but they are a really important uh, metric that helps to connect things. So um, we label every product that we make with its ca uh, carbon footprint number. Um, we have uh, that is obviously a whole business, and that number allows um, one product to be connected to another. Uh, ultimately, I have a carbon footprint that would connect to you, Scott, and mm -hmm. uh, sure. and New Zealand to America. The whole world rolling up to a, a, a number that we must reduce, and um, that's really been a breakthrough for us. We were the first to do it in the footwear industry. It's led to partnership um, with uh, Adidas recently to launch the lowest carbon footprint um, shoe, which we did. Uh, and so that focus has allowed us, I think, to shift this a little bit from, hey, um, uh, from the heart, I'm trying really hard to, uh, to the head. We have a really objective, clear framework of how we're going to act, which doesn't mean that all the other aspects of sustainability don't matter, fair trade labor, recyclability, end of life, water quality, right. animal welfare. Um, but we've got a, we've got a focus um, that allows this to be um, incredibly detailed in the way that we attack it. Um, so about those um, about the metrics that you put on your shoes, um, is that kind of a, is it just the overall carbon footprint impact that that shoe has had to be produced, or is that kind of can the also the individual the purchaser see that and apply that to their own account, kind of to raise awareness, like like in the example with the calories of like what their what is a, a a healthy amount for them to actually engage in and consume. It's it's purely the record of impact, um, and it's made up of five buckets of information: um, materials, what it's made mm -hmm. made from, and it accounts for it all the way through uh, to the farm, uh, depending mm -hmm. on what it's made from. Um, and manufacturing, where it's made, and how it's made, and how the factories mm -hmm. that make the product are, are powered. A really important aspect okay. of it. Transport, sure. shipping it to you know to the to the consumer uh, from from its point of origin. Um, uh, use. Um, how it's used, and in the case of apparel, um, the wash um, and the consideration of washing through the life cycle of a product is really important. Um, mm -hmm. And then packaging, you know, what it's sort of packaged in. So you consider every aspect of how the product is presented, and then you get a number. And in our case, that number's um, you know a little bit less than ten. Uh, very very hard to get uh, an industry average because very few, if any, um, actually publish these num uh, these numbers. But we think those are in the in the low teens. Um, mm -hmm. Our partnership shoe with Adidas, which was a really exciting project, um, we launched a, a product that uh, at the time um, was was leading the industry, 2.96 kilograms of carbon, uh, which is about half a hamburger. Um, I jump on a plane and fly from San Francisco to New York, it's about 2,000. So all of a sudden, yeah. you're able to- A lot of hamburgers. You're, yeah, exactly. But you're able to you know um, arm the consumer, I think, with information- um, to make better choices, and and I'm I'm sure. quite clear that this is where this is going to go. That we'll evaluate this in the same way that we do um, uh, ca calories in, in making uh, yeah. decisions about food. It's it doesn't say don't do this or do or, or, or do do this. It says here's a kind of a a system that now you you know you see every time you walk into a McDonald's or, or a fast food joint that starts to guide you to make better choices. And I think that's what what's going to come around the conversation around uh, carbon footprints. Absolutely. I mean, it gives you, uh, the consumer, all the information without any uh, anything else interfering with it. There's, it's not dressed up in any way. It's just letting you know these are the facts. You want to buy this shoe? Great. This is the impact it'll have compared to 
something else. And uh, that's probably, I guess, like at some point in the future, I would hope that everything will be labeled like that. Yeah, I've been thinking, you know, I think people want, um, they want ice cream in this moment. They want quick fixes and easy solves around the topic of sustainability. And it's not, it's really, really hard work. Of course. And um, um, incremental changes. And what's been so fascinating as we've started to to really uh, define this methodology is our designers and creators and the makers of our products are the, are the most fervent adopters of it. Um, and, and, you know, traditionally when you think about making something, you think about three things like what it costs, uh, what it does, the utility of it, and what it looks like. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's this fourth uh, pillar of creativity and innovation around carbon that is informing the choices, starting in very, very subtle ways to change and shift the form of the objects that we're making mm-hmm. um, uh, in the same way that an electric car is not uh, constrained by a combustion engine that looks a little bit different. So too with the objects that we make when we consider this methodology deeply. And um, all of a sudden, it starts to become a creative conversation versus um, you know just a conversation about doing less. And of course, we need to have both of them. But we also, we need to we need to act and we need to do that in a very detailed way. This We just recently released our flight plan um, update. Mm-hmm. We have a very detailed sustainability plan to cut our carbon footprints in half by 2025. And uh, we reduced it uh, by 12% this year. Incredible amount of hard work. And in 12 months, it came down 12, uh, 12%. And um, and and the, the level of uh, detail to actually achieve that is mm-hmm. pretty extraordinary. But we've got a plan. So that's why I like to sort of say we don't have all the answers, but we've got the right questions. And that's incredibly exciting. And then you can kind of, you can get to work with clarity over what you need to do. All right. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, Allbirds' um, uh, right now, as it is, how how many people do you employ? A little bit more than a um, than a thousand, um, which okay. includes includes a little more than fifty retail stores. Uh, our headquarters are in San Francisco, but we have mm-hmm. um, a presence in a number of countries around the world, including Berlin and mm-hmm. uh, London. And um, we are a little over six and a half years into this journey, so it's come a long way. We founded oh. the business, as you mentioned, on March the first. 2016, um, launching out of my my co-founder Joey's um, mother-in-law's house uh, just outside of San Francisco um, with six employees and his dog, Walter. So, um, uh, <laughs> so seven. Come, yeah, exactly, exactly. Although he was particularly lazy. So, yeah, the, the, you know, so this has come, this has come a long way. And, and before that, um, it was built off a, uh, an initial Kickstarter campaign that um, that I that, yeah. you know, that w- went live in 2014. So we, we, we've come a long way, and it's been an incredibly humbling journey. And I, I believe deeply that we've got a long, long way still to go. Sure. So about those stories, the brick and mortar shops, are those? Would you say more? Um, are they inti- uh, intended to be revenue drivers, or are they more kind of uh, part of the marketing strategy? Absolutely both. Um, okay. You know, from the beginning, um, we've seen that when we put a store. Um, in a city uh, that it drives awareness and improves our digital, it becomes a halo for our digital business. We've always got very, mm-hmm. very de- 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 um, detailed consumer information as a vertically integrated retailer. So we, we know mm-hmm. we've got good probability of where to put those stores and how they'll be successful when we open them. And then um, they drive profitability um, as a four-wall contributor to our, um, to our business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also... Uh, they become hubs for community and experience, um, and we think about that deeply. And the best customers that we have uh, are the ones that we actually meet in retail who can go deep um, mm-hmm. on our materials. Um, as we've touched on, some of the things that we're working on are complicated. 
um, yeah. you know, around where our materials come from, what, you know, what they're meant to do, our sustainability um, frameworks. And so the ability for someone to come in and fit and touch and feel our product and learn about them in stores uh, and then develop an online relationship with us when they leave as we get as they get comfortable with us and our size and our fit of our products is uh, is a huge advantage so the retail has been has been a really really um, important part of our story um I can imagine that I mean obviously like uh, with a, as you mentioned like a, a, a brand and a, a product that is driven by a, by the way it feels you want to be able to feel it in your hands not just look at a picture or watch other people feel it so like the haptic aspect that you can have in the store um, it's a it's a great customer retention uh, or an acquisition tool um, but it all started um, with the first product that you had the first shoe the flagship shoe is the wool runner uh, if I'm not mistaken um, and then shortly thereafter came um, uh, some water repellent shoes some running shoes some dress shoes and all sorts of different models um, how many products do you have now Oh, I, I mean, I couldn't give you an exact number, except to sort of say that um, you know we've 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 thought about it in a couple of different ways. You know, those material platforms hard work, but when you when you create them, then you can make different styles, and then equally those styles can map across the materials. So, in the case of okay. the the wool, uh, um, it's got some incredible qualities and amazingly comfortable. Uh, and then we have um, a tree runner, which is uh, a eucalyptus inspired. Um, version that um, really uh, performs well when the weather gets mm-hmm. hotter. So the matrixing of, of, of franchises and uh, material platforms is how we've thought about it. And that's allowed us to sort of mm-hmm. continue to solve different uh, comfort problems, um, you know, mm-hmm. for, for our customers in different ways. How important would you say is the diversification of your product portfolio? Well, I think um, I think it's really, really important. When we launched... Um, one of the huge criticisms that we got from people within the footwear industry was that you couldn't launch with one shoe. There was no way that was going to work. Um, and you certainly can't um, launch uh, with a digital focus. That was never, ever um, the, the playbook. Um, never going to work. Never going to work. And so that focus was our friend. And and now we've expanded and added to our products, but still relatively speaking, um, mm-hmm. it's still it's still very, very streamlined for, for, for an industry you know, that makes 25 billion pairs a year, 2 billion plus are sold in America alone. Um, and so I think that focuses our friend and we've tried to be very, very deliberate in the way that we execute um, mm-hmm. and, and try and anchor that in the consumer in a problem. And, um, and uh, when we're at our best, that's what we've done. How many pairs of shoes do you sell uh, uh, per year? Oh, well, you know, as a recently public company, we're not going to talk about any of that stuff. Um, All right. Ex- <laughs> except to sort of say... That um, you know, again, it exploded out of the gate. Um, okay, we um, we sold a million pairs of of uh, the wool runner in the first sort of give or take year and a half, and um, okay. this thing um, just had legs. It, it yeah, it it, it did, and uh, so it, it's been an incredible an incredible journey, and and uh, we've got we've got a long a long way to go, but um, it's it's there's there's fundamentally. Um, an important thing that we're doing that you know in natural materials in a category that that doesn't really use them and i think we're starting to prove that that can that can create great product experiences well you mentioned the ipo uh which uh, was in 2021 if i'm not mistaken um what was it um about the timing why did it feel right uh well, we were you know we were six years in as a business and we were we were we were we we're feeling very very clear about what we wanted to be 
mm-hmm. which was a, a hundred year brand. And we believed that we, um, and, and still believe that we could be a great public company and that public company stage was an opportunity to, um, build our purpose, um, and, um, meet and meet a global audience that we've aspired to, to meet from day one. And the second part of it was our sustainable sustainability purpose, um, in the context of being a public company. Uh, we wanted to, uh, show that purpose and profit, um, could coexist. And that is a B Corp. Uh, particularly in a world of um, uh, an influx of, of, of money into ESG um, and a, a big shift in the financial industry for businesses um, anchored in in purpose and a commitment not just to uh, reward their shareholders but also the broader communities in which they operate that we could bring to the public markets a new framework, which is what we did when we went public um, mm-hmm. with the support of our our banking partners. Um, it was a sustainable, sustainable public offering framework, and it uh, was designed to to be um, uh, an example of how early stage growth companies could go public uh, with a very transparent set of criteria. Um, that we we worked with a number of leading um, sustainability leaders to create, and hopefully, obviously, the world's gone upside down in the last twelve months, but hopefully. Um, will become an example for many others to follow. And we're really, really proud of that. And we wanted to plant a flag and it felt like the right moment to do that. What What would you say, like, uh, I mean, looking back in the past year, um, just your experience so far, maybe your, compared to your expectations back then, is there anything about like going public that has surprised you uh, positively or negatively, something that's presented more of a challenge or something that you just didn't necessarily expect to happen? Well, in overall, I mean, as difficult as this last year has been for the world, um, and the public markets, it's been, a, it's been a great experience. I mean, I think, um, it's brought with it, um, some pressures for sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part, um, it, it has, has also, um, f- it is a, it's a great forcing mechanism. It's a stage too, to meet mm-hmm. a lot of people that we hadn't met before. Um, and so I think, uh, the experience has been a positive one, albeit with, you know, some challenges all of a sudden, and maybe this is where my athletic experience has been helpful. Uh, all of a sudden you, you have a, 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 you know, a scorecard hovering over you on any given day. And oftentimes what you're working on is something, uh, particularly in the context of innovation and product multiple years out. So, mm-hmm. um, again, going back to, to that sporting context, that ability to trust the process, um, believe in the long-term, um, vision, uh, even when, you know, You've lost a, a couple of games that in the fullness of time, the quality of your work and the quality of the products that you're building will allow you to win the seasons um, mm-hmm. is sort of a mindset that's really, really important because some, sometimes the share price, um, or especially in the last little bit, has gone down even when you've, you've had a great day at work or you've made a great product that the world has not yet seen. And so you need to trust the process. And I think, um, uh, I think I've, um, I'm really, really clear on that. And I think Joe is as well. And um, I think um, it, it's been, for the most part, um, enjoyable, albeit, you know, the challenges of, 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 of getting an organization to understand that and continue to think long-term as the short-term pressures are all around you. Well, fair enough. Well, um, we talked about, uh, we've talked about, mentioned the uh, Kickstarter campaign a couple of times um, as a way to kind of get Allbirds as, uh, on the map. Um, one of the 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 key drivers, I think, growth drivers, one of the reasons one of the the reasons that 
a lot of people know Allbirds is because along with eyewear brand uh, uh, Warby Parker, um, Allbirds is one of the symbols of uh, of the D2C business model, which is direct to consumer. Um, was that a conscious plan from the get-go to adopt that model? Um, or do, did it just kind of come about by happenstance? Well, yeah, it was a, a little bit of both. I mean, I, I think, you know, w- what was clear um, was w- all of a sudden you could, you know, the barriers to entry in a category like footwear, which is very, very complicated. The, the vast majority of, of shoes north of 80% are still built, bought in, um, you know, wholesale and physical channels. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers there. And the ability for us um, at, the, at that time to build a product that we really believed in that had taken many, many years, literally hundreds of prototypes that had come out of a Kickstarter campaign and then launch it as we did quite quickly in America and New Zealand. And then as we as we were not wait for cycles um uh you know to learn what how it was going um but to get immediate feedback was the huge uh advantage that we had and so i think there's a lot of different you know ways that that um dtc story has been told um and Mm -hmm. for us it was never you know it was really about one thing it was about speed and it was about the consumer and it was about the ability to enter this big, complicated market really quickly, and then get feedback so that we can improve and move fast. Because it's not—it's not a fast category at all. It's the opposite mm. of fast. It's really, right. really slow. And so um, that was—that was really the big driver. And I, you know, of, of course, there was a narrative and a theme um, b- broadly. And and but I, I don't think we ever thought about ourselves as that—that that was the identity of the business. We always knew that over time. Um, we would build and, and have the opportunity to meet people in a lot of different places. And so, you know, uh, I, I think that l- that label is not, you know, it wasn't part of the, the identity. It was really fundamentally for us at the beginning, it was about a product and a purpose and a belief that an entire category needed to change. And, that, and that's, you know, as true today now as it was then. And, and probably we've seen an, uh, you know, enormous momentum and, and wind in the sails of that idea. Um, that's been uh, been a big big part of, of any success we've had. Well, you mentioned one of the biggest allures of uh, the D2C model, which is one of the biggest benefits, which is knocking down barriers. So you just get straight to, as the name implies, straight to the consumers. Um, but you know that's that's the great thing about it. The hard thing about it is, like you said, like it's not easy. It's it's not fast at all because you have to build your own audience. So. In addition to the Kickstarter campaign, what channels were uh, significant growth drivers as far as reach are, are concerned? Yeah, well, I mean, you talk about knocking down barriers and you talk about D, D to C and straight away the assumption is that's the internet and selling things uh, online. And for us, you know, retail, we had our first store that I think we spent a few thousand dollars fitting out underneath our first office in San Francisco. So you talk about breaking breaking down barriers between you and the consumer, you go downstairs and you could, you've okay. launched a color and you could go, hey, you know, uh, Reggie, who's a, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> and more more than that, you could work in the store and, 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 the, um, and if you just listened, you know, you got the most incredible feedback and then you could run back upstairs and you could sort of say, hey, mm-hmm. this is right or this is wrong. So the single biggest advantage that you can have and um, in the early days of starting an idea and launching in the market is to be close to that feedback loop. So mm-hmm. um, that was an advantage for us and, and remains an advantage for us even as we've got much bigger and become a public company because I think we get that feedback and that, and that um, you know, very, very quickly. And um, that's not the case for for a lot of the a lot of the category and the way that they've been set up. And uh, you know, so um, the Kickstarter campaign was it was really driven by a couple of things. It was about 
it was about word of, word of mouth and i think mm-hmm. um we were able to to tell our story in a really simple clear way and um uh, oftentimes you want to um, you want to talk about the thirty five things you do well, and really in our particular case, it was it was one and a singular idea, and that was that was I, I think important. And um, in a Kickstarter campaign, all the research will show you, and all the people that have gone through the process will tell you um, you've got to explain your idea in the first fifteen seconds, and if you don't, um, uh, people will move on. And so, being able to distill a business and a brand and even a product into those first fifteen seconds is is an incredibly important thought exercise. And so. Certainly, that was a part of it. Um, the other part of it was was press and comms, and and um, you know we were able to tell our story um, through through PR and um, make it clear that we were doing something different and that this was a first in the footwear industry. Uh, it was something new for the wool industry, and over time, as we as we grew confident, um, this was actually something um, a, 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 in support of a sustainable revolution in the fashion industry, and. Uh, so that was by far and away the most impactful thing for us. And we told the story and the story was an authentic one and, um, mm-hmm. and it resonated with people and more people wanted to hear it. And so in the beginnings, that, those really was how we thought about it. And we built a community around the idea, um, you know, because of, I think, the, the depth of the work that we'd done to mm-hmm. actually create a product that was different. Um, would do you still believe in the model in D two C? Is it still a viable uh, model in general? Because I've noticed, like at least recently, um, that uh, Allbirds are also available on some other retailer outlets. Uh, like in Germany, you have Zalando and some of these other outlets. So, do you do you still believe in it at its core, or is it just like uh, is it possibility? This is an example of uh, of you hedging your bets a little bit. Well, you know, it's just again, I um, I question exactly what the model is. So, you know, as a as a mm-hmm. we started off as a as a, a as a vertical retailer, and um, but it was it was never at the exclusion of of other ways of of uh, selling or meeting okay. our customer, um, and and yet it was an opportunity at that particular time to grow our following and and as I've sort of talked about, move really quickly as as we talked about, and over time, you know, retail. Um, uh, became um, a really exciting addition to that channel, an extension of of that philosophy, really. And um, we're in the very early days of um, uh, partnering with different uh, retailers in different places around the world that, um, again, allow us to meet people, um, to be in places that we aren't or may never be uh, physically as a retailer, um, that have certain skill sets, and we partnered with with some re- retailers uh, through the journey at different times. And Nordstrom, you know, who have a remarkable uh, reputation in customer service, mm-hmm. and we learned a ton from that. So, um, Zalando, uh, Nordstrom, um, Selfridges uh, currently there in London at the moment. That's a great experience. We're learning a ton. So, um, you know, I, I think that's always been part of the plan, and we've slowly, methodically uh, added those partners over time. And so that's where the the DTC label becomes. I think a little bit of a misnomer. Um, Starts and, to build up uh, barriers as opposed to knocking them down. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I you know, again, but I, I take your point. Look, I mean, okay, yeah. uh, the, the idea that you could sort of throw a brand up online, cut out the middleman, use some inexpensive Facebook advertising, build a brand really, really quickly. I think that's just got limitations. And over time, lots of people do it. And then, uh, you know, but I, again, I don't think that that was really what we did, albeit that we capitalizing on an opportunity at time when, when when maybe it hadn't really been done as much in footwear. 
You mentioned um, uh, Facebook ads, um, and I wanted to bring up uh, the the overall uh, rise in, in ad costs uh, on the on the usual uh, channels, uh, your Facebook ads, your Instagram ads. So when you were starting out, uh, I mean, just five years ago, uh, six years ago, I mean, they were relatively cheap, especially compared to how they are now. Um, so it was relatively inexpensive, or at least maybe a little bit more efficient uh, to create communities online and kind of channel millions of people to your online shop. Um, has it become more challenging for you, for Allbirds today, to reach your core audience um, or to to acquire new consumers? Well, I mean, I think through the lens of that channel, um, absolutely, and l- like it has for everyone else. And I, I think it's become complicated, crowded, and as you touched on, more expensive. And it's always been a small part of the way that we built the brand and thought about building the brand. And uh, we talked about retail. We've obviously talked about uh, comms and storytelling. We've talked about word of mouth just by virtue of um, great uh, customer experience, which has always been a core pillar of the way that we've thought about building the brand. So there's never been one one thing. And like any any business, you pivot and, and adjust as you find sure. efficiencies in meeting new people. And in the case of working with um, our wholesale partners, again, there's an opportunity to engage and meet new audiences that for you know that just have not come across you know a brand that has you know only a handful of stores relatively speaking for you know the giant world that we live in so i just think like anyone else we've we've been nimble but i think the people that have built businesses with a complete focus on that i think it's been a really it's been a really really tough period sure what uh marketing channels uh or what channels would you say are like most your most significant from a marketing perspective at the moment again we talked about retail it it is for us, it has been an incredibly um, important way to meet uh, customers. Um, we have and continue to do um, a lot of thought leadership work around sustainability. And um, that's, uh, of course, uh, has a promotional and marketing element, but it, it's also um, a big part of who we are and how we show up in the DNA of the business. And so I think um, it's a big part of our storytelling. Uh, we just released our sustainability report. It was a big marketing moment for us mm-hmm. um, because we're really proud of the work um, because we want to show other people that it's possible. Um, and we made a moment of it and maybe others would not have. Um, so there's there's a range of factors. And and then the other piece is, is, a, is a community program. We call it our All Good Collective. And it is a combination of, um, of, a, of a community of people tied to our physical retail. Oftentimes we meet them near or um, in, in proximity to our retail um, stores where they'll come and spend time, access product uh, before anyone else. Um, and then we also have you know developed a, a digital um, uh, connection to them. They're oftentimes the first people that we test product on um, and they help us tell and amplify our story. And that's a program we've been building um, over a long period of time. We bring those uh, that group together and try and uh, support them in their various goals as well as leaders and um, um, sustainability advocates um, and and and, uh, and and all the various ways that they are a part of their communities. So that's been a really really important connector of a, of, a, of a number of, of the of the the sort of the dots within our within our business and a key part of how we've continued to um, think about building the brand as well. Great stuff, Tim Brown. I want to thank you for joining me. Um, it's been a fascinating dis- uh, discussion here about all things Allbirds. And again, thank you for joining the Omar podcast. Such a privilege to, uh, to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Buzz.